Not sure this morning how far we'll get. We're going to start out, but if this first part takes too long, we may have to break this up and go into next week with it. We'll see. But when if it starts going long, y'all just raise your hands and I'll know when I need to cut it off. You could try anyways. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if it works. <laughs> and Keith's already raising his hand. Hey. At least give me a shot. <laughs> uh, just, I feel like God was saying a lot. And as I was putting my thoughts together last night and this morning and stuff, it seems like we may, we may go into next week with it. So we'll see. Uh, start with this, this first part. But today I want to start out by talking to you about the cross. And whenever we hear as Christians and we've heard, we sing about the cross. We think about the cross. We know about the cross. We know that Jesus died on the cross. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes as we're getting started just um, about your cross. And I know we've heard a lot about that too. My cross. It's your cross to bear. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. I want to talk to you about your cross. Don't just get Jesus' cross mixed up with yours. I think we've done that a lot. He bore the cross. I got to bear the cross. But it was a different cross. He had a different cross to bear than you do. We're going to talk about that and think about that. I think it's important to separate those two in your mind. Jesus had a different cross than you. That's like me trying to do Jesus' job. That's a bad idea. I don't need to try to do His job because I won't be productive. I won't be powerful. I won't get much done. It, like, what's the point? Here, let me help you with that, Jesus. It's kind of insulting. You know, when I'm opening up a pickle jar because it has been brought to me, because I have a certain set of skills that uh, qualify me to open pickle jars, and then somebody else says, you need some help with that? Or you want me to open that? that? I'm not thankful for that help. Oh, I appreciate it, bud. Here, yeah, grab it with me. Let's do this to get... No, it makes me mad. Why are you, what are you trying to say? You think I can't do it? Am I, am I too weak to open this pickle jar? And that's how it makes you feel. So what, why we do that with God or we do that with Jesus, we won't try to help Him with something that He's already done. And I picture Him sitting there like, I already did that. Why don't you do what I told you to do? I don't need help opening the pickle jar. I ask you to take out the trash. You get what I'm saying? I think we try to do somebody else's job. And, we, and the crazy thing is it's easy for us to look at somebody else's life and see what they need to do and offer even to help them out because we know what, what you need to do to fix your life and so everything will be perfect for you. That's easy for me to look at and say, well, if you would just do this, it's easy. You, you know you mean to help you? But that's your job. That's your load. Remember, we talked about loads and burdens a couple of weeks ago. And your daily load, that's what you're supposed to be carrying. I'm not supposed to help you carry that. So I don't need to be looking at your life and saying, well, here's what you need to be doing to get your life straight. 
I need to do what I'm supposed to do and carry my load. And I don't know if that's just amplified because I'm the pastor or what, but a lot of people, a lot of y'all know what I need to do. And you let me know that pretty often of things that you think I need to be doing. And I'm going to get too specific if I keep going on this point. My point is, if we'll get in our lane and we'll carry our load and we'll do what we're supposed to do, and then it all meshes together and flows together. But for sure, I don't want to try to do Jesus' job or God's job. I mean, I don't want to do RJ's job, much less Jesus. Being a good husband to Rebecca. It's a tough one. What I was really talking about was cutting the grass at the church <laughs> or whatever. It's not my purpose. It's his. Here, Jesus, let me just pay for my sin. Thanks. Stay in your lane. Levi doesn't need help designing the tiny house. In case y'all were wondering. That's his job. You need to sell tickets. Or buy tickets. Either way. Sometimes we would rather help someone else do what they need to do rather than do what we need to do. Or even ask God, what do I need to do? I got it from here. I think it's time as we grow up for a lot of us to do what we're called to do. And as you step into purpose, you have to have that attitude of like, all right, I got it from here. I'm going to do what I need to do to prepare me for where I'm headed or, or for where I need to go. Or I could say it like this, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm ready to take responsibility. That's maturity. It's growing up. Have, I'm sure you've heard people say, uh, there are some things in life you got to do on your own. Some things in life, and I know I'm huge on relationship and community, and you can't do life alone, and we're not supposed to do life alone. Until, but there are some things that you got to do on your own. Like, think about it. The, take a test. You got to do that on your own. What if you go to take the driving test and take a little couple of buddies to help? You failed. In school, you don't pass the test if you don't take it alone. Some things, I appreciate the help. I appreciate it, but I got to do this one on my own. I had a couple of buddies. You know, Bo's one of my best friends, has been since we were little kids. Well, when I went to go propose to Jesse, he offered to do it for me, but I, some things you got to do on your own. No, I got this, bro. Thanks. I'm, he didn't really offer that, but he would have. <laughs> He's a good friend, so he would have, but some things you want to do on your own. When it comes to giving, 
or serving or worshiping God or doing what you're called to do or walking in your purpose. You, you need to step up and do that. I can't do it for you. You can't ride the coattails of your wife or your mama or your grandpa. You got to step up and do it. Malachi, Titus, and Sky, they got one dad. You can't do it. You could step in and try to help, and I'll need some help, but. There are things in your life that I can't do for you. As your pastor, I can push you and I can, I can motivate you and I can hear God and speak to you and tell you things to get you thinking, but you got to do it. Colossians 2.13 says this. We're going to read it in King James and, and read it in the Message Bible because I like how it's worded. Both. Colossians 2.13 And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath He quickened together with Him having forgiven you some of your trespasses forgiven you of all the ones that you paid for? No, all. All in the Greek and the Hebrew means all. All of your trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. The handwriting of the ordinances that were against us that was contrary to us. What does that mean? It's not who we really were. It's not who we really are. It was death. It was a sentence that was written on us. It was a sin, but it's not who we are. And He took it. He took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. Nailing it to His cross. Not yours. And having spoiled principalities and powers, another translation says, disarmed the powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He won. Then on the cross, after He carried His cross, He bore His cross, He did it well, and then He said at the end, it is finished. The work is done. Don't come back and try to do it. Eat the pickles, the jar's open. It's finished. Look how the Message Bible says it. His purpose, His cross was done. Message Bible says it like this. Entering into this... You can't see over there. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No. You're already in insiders, not through some secretive initiation, right? But rather through what Christ has already done, already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an an initiation ritual after 
Hold on a second. If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as He did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their shame of their sham authority at the cross and he marched them naked through the streets it was his purpose it was what god put on his plate or in his cup remember when he was in the garden and said let this cup pass from me god dad i don't want to drink it is there any other way i don't like it i don't want to taste sin I don't want to have everybody's wrongs put on me. I don't want to feel the separation from you. I don't I don't want to do it. Is there any other way? I don't like it. I'm going to try to make the sky take some medicine. No, I don't like it. I need another drink to wash it down. I don't want to. That was Jesus and God in the garden. Drink the cup, son. I don't want to drink it. It's the only way. Trust me. It's your purpose. Drink it. I don't want to eat it. You know how aggravating that is to fix a kid a plate of food and sit it down in front of them? And I don't know if any of y'all's kids ever said this. Mal- Malachi and Titus are old enough to where I don't hear it from them anymore. I still hear it from Sky. Um, do I have to eat all of this? Oh, no, son. I just put it on your plate. I figured we'd throw half away and you could eat half. That was the plan. Usually when we make the grocery list each week, we plan out about half of it for the garbage and about half for y'all to eat. So, yeah, you Pack, just eat two bites of that macaroni and we'll chunk the rest in the trash. It's a little good, good plan there, bud. That's aggravating. No, eat all the food that I put on your plate. I'm your father. I know what you need to eat to sustain you so that you'll be full. So an hour from now, you're not starving, wanting to eat sugar and a bunch of snacks. Because I see what's coming, even though you don't, because you're an immature son. So I put it on your plate because it's what you need to eat. Well, do I have to eat that? I don't want to eat all that. Are we like that spiritually? Hmm. I don't want to eat all that. What's on my plate? And I got to deal with this, and I've gone through this, and my past is this, and well, that's wonderful. You're human. Everybody goes through stuff. Stuff on everybody's plate. What are we going to do with it? Was it? What is it that's been placed in front of you? What is it? What's on your plate? I would argue that if it's on your plate, you can eat it. You can. 
Even if it don't look too good to you right now, or if you feel full of what you can eat it. If it's on your plate. Look at Matthew 16, 24. Last night I stopped because all the boys were up here and Jesse called me and I was headed back from Douglasville. It's just a busy day. And uh, she called me and was like, it's just going to be me and you for dinner. So if you want to just stop and pick something up, because I'm not going to cook a big meal. And so I stopped to get some Chinese uh, in Villarica. And I got it to go in the little to-go boxes. And I was standing there in line. And this guy and obviously his little bitty daughter, they came up in line right behind me. And he was a little fellow. And he came up. And he stood behind me, and his daughter was just like staring at me. Kind of like, I like said, hey, and smiled at her. And she like walks up away from her dad and was like standing beside me, like, hey, I smiled and waved. And then I look, I look back around, look, look back over. She's just standing there staring at me. I'm like, Thinking, get your daughter. That's kind of getting awkward. I don't know. It's kind of weird. She's looking at me, and then she looks back and says, "Daddy, you're too little, Daddy." And I'm like, "Oh gosh, <laughs> oh this poor little fella." She said, "Daddy, you need to get big, big, big like him." And I'm like, mm. And he said, yeah, I do. Yeah, Daddy does. She said, do you need to go eat more food, Daddy? You, to get big and strong, you have to eat more food. And he's like, no, I ate enough food, honey, thanks. What's on your plate? If you don't eat, she just knew what she had been told. By her parents, if you don't eat all those vegetables, you're not going to grow big and strong. And so in her mind, she'd think, well, Dad, do you not want to be big and strong? What? <laughs> eat more. But what God puts on your plate, He knows what you need. He knows what you need to go through. He can use everything that's been put on your plate if you'll eat it to grow you into the big, strong, powerful person. And every one of us, if we choose to walk in our purpose, can be big and strong and powerful in the kingdom. But we decide we don't want what's on our plate. Look what um, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24. And how I know Jesus said it is, it says right here, Then said Jesus unto his disciples... Pretty smart, huh? Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life, that word life is the same one they use as soul, it's soul or life, save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited 
if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The Message Bible says right there, um, what does it matter if you uh, get the whole world and lose you, the real you, who you were created to be? What Jesus was saying, what does it matter if you get all kind of stuff and houses and jobs and what, what does that matter if you do all that and you lose you, you lose your, your purpose? And we've talked about that scripture before, and I've heard tons of people quote that and talk about, you got to take up, you want to come after me, you want to follow me and be one of my disciples, then you got to take up your cross. Well, what's the cross? The cross is what Jesus died on. So you got to die to what you want. You got to die to what you think. You got to die to yourself. And yeah, there's some truth in that. But if you look up that word that was used there and translated cross, it's cross, but the meaning of that word is purpose. Your purpose. Take up your purpose. So what Jesus was saying is, if you want to be one of my disciples and you want to come and follow me, then you've got to step into your purpose. You don't have to. You can live your whole life and it can be just about you. Or you can live your whole life and you can never help anybody else and you cannot leave the world a better place and you cannot expand the kingdom and but you're not going to be one of my disciples. You want to follow me, I'm going to need you to step into your purpose. I'm going to need you to take up your purpose and follow me. Don't lose you chasing after stuff. When Jesus took up his cross, so we got to take up ours, not his. We try to take up his when we're paying for our own sin or telling ourselves we're no good or we can't do it, or then we're not taking up ours. We're trying to take up His. And we're not walking in our purpose. If you want to follow me, take on your purpose. Make a difference in the world. Make life count. Don't just go through life and Not make it count for something. Not leave it better than you found it. Not help somebody out. Just, I just got to get through. Just got to make it another day. Wish I could fast forward to the weekend. Why? What a miserable existence. Just, uh, the, the, that's not what you were created for. I think there were three thieves on Golgotha the day that they crucified Jesus. And we usually read and we're told there were two thieves up there, but I think, I think there were three. And Jesus hanging in the middle. He was up there taking something that didn't belong to him. He's taking our sin and shame. He was there to go steal them keys back from the devil, death, hell, and the grave. He was... He was there taking it. He took your cross of sin on that day so that your hands would be free to carry your cross of purpose. You don't have to carry that cross of sin. His plan was that He would take the cross of sin so that you could carry the cross of purpose.
your hands would be free, but you can't carry them both. You're not going to ever fully carry both. That's not the plan. You got to lay down that. You got you to see that as forgiven and gone and passed and let him carry his cross so you can carry your cross. Your hands are free. I heard this dad um, telling a story. Um, and it's a mom and a dad, and they had five kids, and they went to a theme park. Right? And it was hot, and they were going around. And the lines were long, and they were trying to ride rides and stuff. And so they come up with this great idea because there was this one ride that they could all ride, but the line was really long like over an hour long line and so they decided all right here's what we'll do the kids are going to be all whining and upset standing in this burning hot line so dad will stand in line and mom's going to take the kids to walk around the park and get some drinks and do other stuff so they're not miserable and then once the dad starts getting close to the roller coaster he would call mom's cell phone and they'll all come back to the line and they'll get to ride a line that was their plan so Dad was great with this plan because he could have a little bit of peace and just stand there for a little while. And not. And mom was good with the plan because the line was going to be horrible, waiting over an hour with all the kids whining that they're thirsty. So she took them all to get a drink. So he said about 30 minutes went by, and the mom calls the dad and said, Hey, um, I was just thinking about it, and uh, you know we all got drinks and stuff. How's the line looking? He said, Uh... Still probably at least 15 minutes away. I was, I'll was. i call you soon. And she said, well, what I was, the reason I called you was uh, I was thinking, is Sarah thirsty? Do you want us to come back to the line and give her a drink? He said, Sarah's with you. Sarah was their youngest, the two-year-old little girl. It had already been 30 minutes, and she wasn't with either one of them. So they freaked out. He waited until they got up and rode the ride, but then they started looking. No, no, I'm kidding. He didn't. He jumps out of the line and runs to meet his wife, and they came up quickly, came up with a plan that the wife would start looking, and he sprinted to the front gates of the park and was searching and checking everybody that was coming out of the gates, checking kids, making sure nobody had his daughter, nobody had something hidden. He'd run over and looking in people's strollers and stuff, like making people mad, but he didn't care because his daughter was gone, and he was in a panic mode, and his wife is running around trying to keep up with the other four kids, and after 45 minutes, and if you're a parent, you can understand that's an eternity for your little girl to be gone and your mind's already going crazy, what could have happened and who could have grabbed her and where, whatever. 45 minutes and this park attendant comes walking around the corner holding her, bouncing her, and she's got a drink in her hand that he had gotten her and walks her up to the parents. Is this them? And hands her to the parents. And she's good and everything's okay and they were so happy and the mom started crying and they were... You know, they were like super thankful and stuff. But, I mean, what if on that phone call when mom called and they realized Sarah was gone, and what if dad really was just like, well, I mean, we still got four. I mean, four out of five, that's not bad. Just trying to make sure we don't lose any other ones. 
See, that's kind of laughable. It's funny because that's never, that would never be the heart of a good father. It's always for the one that's lost, the one that's in danger, the one that needs to be brought back into the family, the one that needs to be brought back home. They went on a search. They went looking, freaking out, don't care what people think. They didn't care if they missed the ride. See, most people are walking around the park looking for some fun and enjoyment and satisfaction, and, and that's how most people will go through life. There were thousands of people in that park that day riding rides and having fun and eating candy and eating whatever, just whatever would feel good to them to have fun, whatever they felt like doing. That's how a lot of people live life. But that park attendant was used that day to rescue the lost, to bring a lost child back to the Father. You don't choose to get lost. Nobody that's ever been lost sits out saying, I'm going to go get lost. You don't. And when you are lost, most of the time, you can't find yourself. Like you can't. If you could find your way back home, you wouldn't be lost. If you could find your way to healing or if you could find your way out of your addiction or if you could find your way back from being lost, then you wouldn't be lost. So I guess what I'm saying is if you take up your cross, if you take on your purpose, it looks different for all of us. But it's putting on that uniform. A park attendant got up that day, probably didn't really feel like going to work, maybe did, maybe didn't, but put on that uniform and went into work and was used. So what uniform are you you putting on tomorrow and today? And will you rescue the lost and bring them back to the Father, or will you be too distracted? Or upset because you're getting paid minimum wage and you deserve more, and so you overlook the lost, the little girl. What uniform will you put on? Who will you bring back? I don't know what your uniform looks like. I know what mine looks like. And I know that if you will put yours on, And be alert and open up your eyes. There are a lot of people that need a family, that need some help, that need some healing, need some love, need to be brought back home. What do you expect? What do you expect out of life? Think about that. That thought came to my mind. It's, um, we sat, and like Jesse said, we sat in a conference, and Bruce was talking to us about about fundraising and how you know people gave us several stories of how people write him big, like crazy number checks, like something. If somebody wrote our ministry a check that big, it'd be like, what? No way that would ever happen. 
Bruce expects that to happen. He expects them to write the check. He's actually allowing them to write him the check. Like they write it and say, thank you. Thank you for letting me give you this. It's an art. (laughs) He expects that. What do you expect? What do you expect out of life? What do you expect to need in life? Because that affects what you pray for. That affects what you prepare for mentally, physically. I mean, me and Joe are getting ready to fight and brawl for a cause here in a couple months. So guess what? That We expect to get to step in the ring, and we expect it to be a good opponent. So that affects what we do now. Now There's no, for no other reason, why would I let Joe punch on me yesterday? Because I'm trying to be ready for the future, for something that I see coming. So what do you expect? I think that in life, like life can be full of disappointments. Pretty sure everybody in here has been disappointed. Something didn't turn out like you thought. You've been hurt. You've been disappointed. You've been let down. Like life's full of disappointments. So, what that makes us want to do is quit, pull back. Stop trying. And it's in all areas of life. I've seen people that loved deeply and gave all of themselves and then that love was betrayed. And they say, I'll never love again. I'm done. They put up walls. They won't be open. They won't be real with people. And I've also seen people that love deeply and their love got betrayed and they got hurt. And now they love even deeper. They walk through it. What did you expect? What do you expect? Philippians 1.20. Paul writes something. I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. And this is the part that we'll probably talk a lot more about this next week. Because I don't want to, I don't think we have time to get into the whole thing, but I'm going to read it. I'm going to read you Philippians 1.20. I'm going to read it to you in NIV. Paul says, I eagerly expect, I eagerly expect, and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage. Wait a minute. Paul, I eagerly expect that I will in no way be ashamed. Like I won't be ashamed of life or what happens or what I've been through or how I reacted to the things that happened to me or the storms. But that part right there. But will have sufficient courage. 
I expect that I'm going to need courage for the life that's ahead. Sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. He said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To me, I'm choosing life or life. <laughs> for me, I'm life or life. And man, it'd be great to go on like I'm done here. I've I've lived my life, I've given, I've I've left the world a better place, but I'm gonna stay here. Why? For y'all. He said, I'm going to stay for y'all, for your joy, for that Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So that through my being with you, again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow. I'm going to stay just, just for y'all. I want to talk about a lot of stuff in there. And and we'll talk about it next week, but think about that this week. What do you expect? And see, I'm not just talking about you expecting good things and expecting everything to work out. That's not healthy. He said, I expect sufficient courage. Well, you don't need courage for smooth sailing. So you know what Paul was saying when he said, I expect sufficient courage is I'm expecting some things to happen in my life where I'm going to need courage. And I'm expecting the courage to get through. I expect battles to come. I expect losses. And I expect great wins. I expect giants and dragons. And I expect wounds and pain. I expect great victories. Disappointments will come. And that's okay. They'll make me stronger. They'll make me better. I, Last year, I was very disappointed 
at Brawl for a Cause. Losing that fight was one of the hardest pills I've ever had to swallow. And I, it's something in me, but I never expected to lose. Never. And yeah, the crowd, but more than the crowd, my people, more than my people, my boys, they watched me lose that one. And I gave up everything. I thought I, I thought I'd tried as hard as I could, and, and your mind's like, well, why? Try to justify, or it's okay, or it doesn't matter, or could I have done more, or what if you didn't turn your back, or whatever. All that stuff. I was disappointed. Now what? Signed back up because I wasn't good with it. Moved through it, worked on, get better. Not okay with it. And that's all right. But it can't stop you. It's got to make you better. I expect to lose some. That's okay. I'm going to keep going. I expect to need courage. I'm going to set expectations on my life that are going to push me to be a better man, to be stronger, to be in better shape mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. I'm going to be growing. I'm going to eat what dad puts on my plate today. And I'm going to get up and ask him if there's any more in the kitchen. I'm going to put a little bit more on there, dad. I need some more protein. I'm not going to sit there and pitch and scream and cry and whine until my food gets lukewarm and spend my life eating the bare minimum of a little bit. Never, No. More, please. More. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more because I expect great things. I expect to see the world change. I, I expect... That even in the losses, I'll learn and I'll grow stronger. So fill up my plate. I expect to need the most heroic version of myself to do what I plan on doing. Mediocre Dusty's not going to cut it. Mm-mm. Scared Dusty's not going to cut it. And when I say scared, Dusty, I mean the one that's acting out of fear. Every brave person is scared. If they were never scared, then you wouldn't need to be brave. So, if you're brave, you're scared. If you need courage, there's some scary things going on. That's not bad. You know David, the greatest warrior that Israel ever knew? He wrote this psalm 
And he ended the psalm, and I'll end the service with this, and then we'll probably talk more about all that next week, about what did you expect. But David, he wrote this psalm, and then the people of Israel would sing it whenever they were fighting a battle or whenever there was a big disease like that they couldn't get rid of or a sickness spreading through the land or a famine. And they would sing this song when they were in a fight in all kinds of whatever kind of storm or fight. And they would sing this. And the very last one, the last verse of Psalm 31 is verse 24. David said, be brave, be strong. Don't give up. Expect God to get here soon. Expect God to get here soon. Four things that David instructs them to do. Be brave, be strong, don't give up. And expect God to get here soon. Be faithful, be hopeful. That's what that means to me. Expect God to get here soon, be hopeful. It's okay. Those were instructions from the greatest warrior Israel's ever known. I promise if you will train with these four and use them in whatever fight you're in, you will walk in victory. Be brave. Be strong. Don't give up. Be hopeful. God, we expect great things. God, we expect you to move. God, we're going to get up and put on our uniform. We're not going to run around with our heads in the sand. We're going to look for the ones that are lost. The kids that are separated from their family. Bring them home. God, forgive me for trying to take on your job. Help me let go of Jesus' cross, the cross of sin. Release that so that I can take my cross of purpose. I expect great victories in the future. I expect some pain. And I expect to rise above it. I expect scars. And I expect gray hair. And I expect joy. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your spirit. God, thank you for what my soul knows. Let my mind and my body follow. 
God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.